You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, if you were here for New Year's Eve Friday night, it was this was a place to be. As you could tell, it took them a long time to clean that mess up. So if you see a, some confetti in your seat or around, you know where it came from. It'll be with us for quite some time. Well, good morning. It's great to have you guys here. I'm kind of flying solo today. Uh, Dan and David are in Atlanta with about 20 of them for the Passion event this week. And then uh, Brandon is under the weather this morning, so we're giving him a little slack to be at home with his family today. Uh, But it's my privilege to get to be here today and deliver this next message in this series. So grab your Bible. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 10. Now, I don't have a chew of tobacco in this morning, just to clarify that. But somebody gave me a little uh, lemon honey thing that will uh, help me get through. My voice is worn out from this week. Had several things going on. Uh, Our sympathy continues for the Barry family. Bill Barry was with us uh, several years ago, uh, fellow minister of the gospel for 50 years. And I had the privilege of sharing in his service this week. And some of his family's here with us this weekend. And and, uh, it was an honor to be there with him. And then certainly uh, part of our family here, the the Dickerson-Hollingsworth family, uh, we just continue to pray for that family and the, the tragic events of this past week. Uh, Thank you for coming alongside of them and encouraging them and lifting them up. And uh, we will be with them for uh, as long as it takes to just continue to encourage them through this this challenging time. Well, this weekend's message, I hope, uh, like all, that you'll take to heart. I I hope that you've got your notebooks out that you'll use, the back of your program to jot down some notes. This series that we've been in since the 1st of December uh, called The Signal of the Savior, we've been looking at the first coming of Jesus Christ and his arrival as a newborn child, right? We, we talked about that all through December, and we've looked at the signals, the signs of his first coming. It was no secret that the Son of God would come as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and his promised return is no secret either. There are signals and signs all around us. And so one of the purposes of this series is for us to have our eyes wide open and to be ready for his promised return. Now, some of you know that I am a brother-in-law to a bunch of jocks, uh, football coaches, uh, wrestling coaches, so forth. My late brother-in-law who passed a couple years ago, he was a well-known local high school football coach. And because of that, I attended more football games than I ever planned to attend in my life. But one of the neat things about knowing the coach, it's kind of like knowing the owner of a restaurant, right? One of the neat things about it is when you go up to the booth, the ticket booth, to get your tickets, and the coach just happens to walk up at that time, he'll motion you on through. He'll say, I I know him, I know his family, come on through. A few minutes later, somebody else in the back of the line, they just, just so happens coach is standing there again and says, you know, come on through. He whispers to the ticket collector, I'll, I'll take care of those tickets later. Now, there are many, many other people who came through that line. And some of them may know of the coach. Uh, some of them may be great supporters of the coach's team. They cheer really good in the crowd. But 
when they come to the ticket booth, their fee isn't waived. There's a cost. Payment is expected. Now, I want you to think about that in light of this subject that we're going to talk about today, the judgment of God, the judgment that comes for all of us when Jesus Christ returns. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter writes these words in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? <laughs> Let me just paraphrase this here. You should be the kind of people that knows the coach. You should be the kind of people that know the owner. Peter said it this way. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, of all the passages that we've looked at in this series and that we will look at through the remainder of this month, this is perhaps the heaviest. Destruction. Everything laid bare. Fire. Melting heat. Now, I know some guys who love to talk about this when trying to win others to Christ. They love to talk about the hellfire and the brimstone and try to scare the stuff out of you just so that you'll make a decision to accept Jesus Christ. And maybe you've come from that type of background and you're just now able to come back to church because of it. But I think, I think Peter had verse 13 in mind as to be our focus. Yes, there'll be destruction. Yes, there'll be fire. It says that the earth will be destroyed just like it was destroyed the first time with a flood. This time, Jesus says it's gonna be fire. But I believe the focus is in verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, whose promise? God's promise, Jesus' promise. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. What's he saying? A new day is coming. A new day. That day when we will be home with the Lord. Now, in anticipation of that day, Peter gives us three things that should be our focus, and that's what I want us to give our attention to this morning. The first of this is this. The day of Christ returns, the day Christ returns will be a day of judgment. It'll be a day of judgment. Now, there have always been those who don't like the idea, the imagery of God's judgment. We prefer a kinder, gentler God, a God who, who respects that we were a good person while we were here, a, a God that sees just, just how kind we've been to everyone around us, our, our generosity to the goodwill or to the Red Cross or, or our neighbors, that, that these things are the things that God appreciates, and these are the things that will, will provide for us a place in heaven, and while... 
While scripture does talk about the riches of God's kindness and tolerance and patience in Romans chapter two, verse four says that this is the purpose of his kindness. And that is his kindness is to lead us to repentance. Our kindness is to turn our hearts, our lives, to him and acknowledge our need for him that salvation comes through no other name than what? Jesus Christ will never be good enough. Our works are like filthy rags, the prophet Isaiah said, in comparison to God's grace and his goodness for us. Verse five actually describes God's wrath. But because of your stubbornness, an unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in that day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So while it's true that there is great kindness and grace when a person repents, there's also judgment for those who do not. And so Peter writes to remind us that the day of the Lord will come. Now the operative word there is what? Will. It's certain. It's decided. It's written down. It will happen. Now, it's going to happen, first of all, personally. Personally. The day of his return and his judgment will happen to you personally. You have got an appointment with death, and no one except for Enoch and Elijah have been able to avoid that appointment. There's no reincarnation. Now surely by this point here in the United States of America and our exposure to God's word and his truth, surely we understand this, that you don't get a second chance to come back as a cat after you die or, or come back as a much more eloquently shaped human being or come back as your mother-in-law to haunt your son-in-law, right? There's no reincarnation, period. But something that we have allowed and that many have accepted as truth is that there is some type of purgatory. There's some type of holdover place that we go. And if our family will pray enough prayers and if our family will light enough candles and believe it or not, if our family will give enough money to the church, then just maybe... Just maybe we can move from purgatory into this better place, into heaven. But you have an appointment to die and to face God in judgment. It's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Are you ready? Are you ready for that appointment? Now, whether Christ comes for you individually or when he comes for us collectively, Paul proclaimed to the philosophers on Mars Hill in Acts 18, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance. Now that's not a slam. We call people ignorant all the time and, and we meet it really rude. But ignorance is a lack of, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. Therefore having overlooked this lack of understanding, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. <laughs> Man, if it's not clear today, if it's not been clear for the last decade to 
the last century. My friends, God is declaring it is time. It is time to kneel before him, to surrender our lives to him. Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God's now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, this raises a couple of fundamental questions I want to address to the best of my ability. And the first is this, who will be judged? Who, who will be judged? And I, and I think I've already let the cat out of the bag. Uh, all of us will be. Everyone will be judged. According to Matthew 25, 31, everyone who has ever lived will be judged. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There'll be no pulling the wool over his eyes. He'll see you. He sees you for who you are. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul writes, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So if everyone who's ever lived will be judged, what about those who, who'd never heard of Christ? What about those who lived before the time of Christ and never heard his gospel? I want you to listen to Jesus' own explanation of this question in chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 21. Woe to you. Now when he says woe, he's not saying woe, hold on. But he's saying, like, we bless your heart. Bless your heart. Woe to you, Corzan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Listen to this. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed for Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. If you're like me, my, uh, my PC Bible study, when my computer crashed, it crashed. So I don't have my uh, books in there that I, I like to go to and see others' opinion, get the background on these places. These places don't matter. What matters is the concept that Jesus is talking about. What he's saying here is that we will be judged based on the light of the gospel that we have received. And what he's saying here is that there are two communities who were completely exposed to the reality of who Jesus Christ are. And there were two communities that weren't as exposed. And if that group that had not been exposed so much had received near as much as the first group, they would have repented. But yet this group who, who received all of this had not. I, I want you to think about it this way. Uh, Brazil. Some of you have been to Brazil. Now Brazil's about as remote as you can get. You get back in there and there's still tribes. It's really interesting though, Bill, there's internet there. It's, it's the weirdest thing. There's internet there, but, but nothing else. But, but let's, just say, let's just say that they don't have the internet, Okay. And so their exposure to the gospel is, is dependent 
upon groups that go over like, like the group from here to share with them the gospel. What, what, what about those folks? Well, they're going to be judged according to the information, the knowledge that they have received. Now, here in the United States, there is no excuse. There is no excuse for not knowing and understanding who Jesus Christ is. You can ask your cell phone and it will tell you who Jesus Christ is. You can look on bathroom stalls and see the John 3.16s along with the other stuff. But there's no excuse for us. This is the point that Jesus is making. The greater our exposure to the word of God, the greater our responsibility to accept it, to live differently. God's judgment is based on humanity's response to the message received. Now, at the same time, we have to remember that all of creation, the most remote village without internet, is made aware of the existence of God. They have been made aware from the very beginning. Romans chapters 1 and Romans chapters 2 tell us, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Paul's saying that when you look to the heavens, when you look at your fellow human's eyeball and recognize the intricacy, when you hear all of the stuff that science says about the human body, all the things that they're able to do, and you realize that they can't touch, they can't create the very cell, the very DNA that God spoke into existence when he created man. All of creation declares the existence of God. Men just choose to ignore it, to avoid it. Paul goes on to say in Romans 2.11 that God's requirements are even written on our hearts, the very fabric of our creation. We all have a responsibility to seek out God. Now that leads to another question. That answers who will be judged. We all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The next question is, so what will be judged? And, and simply put, everything that we've ever done. Now, that sits all of us back in our seat, hopefully. Everything that we've ever done. First Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This includes deeds. This includes thoughts. This includes words. This includes actions. It includes inaction, reactions, everything that we've ever done. 
Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Matthew 12, 36, on the day of judgment, men will give an account for every empty word they've spoken. What will be judged? Everything. Now, here's a question that may have popped into your mind, and that is, well, if that's the case, then why will Christians be judged? Aren't we covered by the blood of the Lamb? Haven't our sins be cast as far as the east is from the, the west? Right? The Bible says that, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why face judgment at all? And, and to be frank with you, this is why... This is why when you ask me or you, or you pre-post all millennial, what, you know, what's your take on the end times? I, I've always said, Jesus is coming back. I, I, I don't care how he does it. I, I, I don't care what your theory is on the thousand year reign and, and all of these things. And that's been the way that I've accepted that for, for a long time. If you want to study all that, good for you. But in doing that, I've overlooked, I think, something that all of us in this room, even those of you who have studied it, have overlooked. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. The first reason why I believe Christians must stand in judgment is so that rewards can be given. Rewards can be given. Now, Scripture often offers enough teaching to convince us of rewards, but not enough to answer so many of our questions about them. And I encourage you, don't get hung up on that. Certainly don't live for that, because that's not God's intention. But there will be rewards. There will be an acknowledgement of the way that you have lived when you stand before God. That's very clear. He says both the good things and the bad things, the hidden things and the, the things that are obvious, they'll all be revealed. Now, we can be certain of certain rewards like the crown of life, the reward of righteousness and glory. And Scripture indicates that there are many, many other rewards. But it's the second reason why I believe Christians, too, will face judgment that I want us to focus our attention on. And that is Christians will be judged so that the depth of God's grace can be magnified. So that the depth of God's grace can be magnified. You know, when I would walk through that ticket line and my brother-in-law would be there and he would say, I, I know him, I, that makes you feel good, right? When someone of importance recognizes you and, and then, you know, lets you, let you come on, covers the tab for you. That, that makes you feel good. But it also does something, did something for my brother-in-law. It magnified his what? His generosity, his kindness. Uh, every time that he, he covered the bill, every time that he paid the debt, it was... It magnified that he was generous and, and kind and, and graceful. Christians will be judged so that the depth of God's grace can be magnified. When everything's laid bare at his return, it's unfathomable to us now. But that's why the depth of his grace, so that it can be exposed to the world. 
Some of you remember the story of the couple. This, this might have been you at one point. The story of the couple who were having challenges in their, their marriage. They sought out a marriage counselor, and after one visit, they're like, ah, that's not worth 150 bucks. We can do this ourselves. Mistake number one. Mistake number two was they decided this is how they're going to do it, right? You write down all your complaints about me, and I'll write down all my complaints about you, and we'll just go through them, right? What a way to start a new year. I encourage all of you to do that. <laughs> so foolish. So the lady, the wife, she went ahead and she wrote down all the things. I, I mean, my wife would have a list. Snores too loud, right? Grabs me too much, right? You know, all those inappropriate touches that guys do. You know, you never, you never think about my feelings. You're always focused on work, right? On and on and on. You don't put the seat down when you pee. Well, I'm the only man in the house. I ought to be able to leave the seat up all the time. All those things. So when it came time, she pulled that list. She read them all right there to him. When it came his time to pull out the list that he made for her, oh, it was a lengthy list. But as he handed it to her and she opened it up and she went down each item, right next to it, each item, it says, I forgive this. I pardon this. Imagine standing and kneeling, lying flat on your face. I have a feeling I'll just be, I don't know what I'll be. I can't imagine that day. I'll want to look him in the eye, but I'll also, I'm sure my knees will buckle and I'll just hit the floor in front of, in front of the Lord. I just can't imagine being in the presence of him. But however you envision that day, when the book is opened up, when the names are read, when each sin and each lie, each bad choice, each hurtful thing, when each one of those is read, as soon as the infraction's read, he will proclaim grace over you. I forgive this. I pardon that. The result, God's mercy and grace will echo through the universe, and for the first time, we will truly understand his grace and his goodness for us. Satan will shrink back. In fact, he will shrill because he knows what's next for him. God's angels will lean in. We will rise to our feet, and we will worship him. We will join the song of the saints you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were killed and with the blood of your death, you bought people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You bought me. And I know what you're thinking just as soon as I say that. What a day for God and you bet. Every day ought to be that kind of day for him. But I know you're also thinking, won't that be humiliating for me? <laughs> won't that be humiliating for me to have all those things read? That's why we can't fathom that a Christian would have to stand in judgment. But the scripture promises that the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. <laughs> there won't be any embarrassment. God's got it all covered. Isn't that amazing? 
And that's where I want us to leave off this weekend. And that is the promised return of Christ and his judgment of all the things that it does. It ushers in a new day. It ushers in a new day. Christ's promised return ushers in a new day. Peter said, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I need something to look forward to. Don't you? Uh, aren't there times when you're in a, in a dispute with, with your neighbor? Uh, aren't there times when your grandchildren are facing trials that you never thought that they would have to, to face in their life or, or your children are going through a divorce? Aren't there times when, when disease and illness just seems to, to have you captured and that there's just no hope for tomorrow? My friends, there are people all around us who feel this. Some of you have felt that even this past year, maybe even today you've come and you say, there is no hope for this. I can see no, no solution to this. You see, that's the fault that we have in life. When things are tough for me, and I've worked more than my two days a week, Saturday. And some, most preachers just work on Sunday. I have to work on Saturday. Sometimes I have to, you know, work an extra 30 minutes during the week here and there. And it just wears me down. Wears me down. Sometimes that goes on for two or three weeks in a row. And if it weren't for something to look forward to, I, I look forward to taking my girls uh, just on an overnight or someplace, Right? Uh, I used to look forward to buying a car. That, you know, if you work long enough and hard enough, now you can't even work long enough or hard enough to buy a car. There aren't even cars to buy. But you know what I mean. It helps to have something to look forward to. The whole purpose of this series, and going back to what I said just a minute ago, when we don't, when we're not really interested enough to study the end times, I'm not saying you gotta study the end times. But my friends, how often have we this year in our depression or in our challenging times realized the reality that a new day's coming? That a day is coming when Jesus Christ will return for us individually and a day's coming when he will return for us collectively and all of this stuff will be done. The people that have gone before us will be right there for us to see again. We'll be able to recognize each other. We'll be able to have conversation with one another. We'll share in meals together. We'll stand face to face with our creator, the God of the universe. The light of his glory will light up the house. There won't be any light bulbs or solar energy or any of that stuff. Because we'll be there. The Apostle Paul said, even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. The lavish celebration prepared for us. The promise alone and the certainty of that promise brings with it new perspective, a certain hope, a new day. And for most of us in this room, that's a brand new thing. It's a brand new thing to look at life that way, isn't it? 
And so the whole purpose of this series and the whole purpose today in talking about God's judgment in truth and in love is so that you and I can embrace that reality every day. (laughs) There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everything, every sin, God has forgiven will be made known but yet it will be for his glory because of the grace he extended us and there's some of you in this room that need to hear this today every sin every sin what about blasphemy well you can talk to the pharisees and the sadducees about that because that's who that was directed to what about when i take my own life having surrendered myself once to God in Christian baptism. I submit to you that God keeps his promise. You may not have embraced him, but he embraces you. And so when you stand before him, this is just me, but I can imagine him saying, oh, oh son, oh daughter. I was right there. If only, if only you knew your worth. If only you would have reached out and grabbed hold of me. But you know, I understand. I felt the worst of the worst when I was here. Rejected in my own hometown. Accused of things that I've never done. It's paid for. Same is true for you. Whatever it is that separated you from him. Paul gives us this. Excuse me, Peter gives us this in Acts chapter 3. How can you be certain? Repent then. Turn to God. So that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you. Even Jesus, he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago. Let's stand together. Father, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for sending Jesus Christ for us. Thank you, Lord, that he came as an infant, that he experienced adolescence and adulthood, that he experienced a world that was as broken then as it is today, that as the writer of Hebrews says, he, he knew every temptation that we know, yet, yet he fought through it. He leaned on you, and by your grace, he was perfect and without sin so that that he could pay my bill and he could pay everyone else's, every choice, every decision, every action and every reaction, Father, that has been and all will be laid bare before you. 
what you did through him covered it all. And so God, that gives us hope for the new day that will come when this, this fraction of eternity, this life that we live here is done. And we live for all eternity with you and the saints and all who believe in you. That we can have hope. We can look to that no matter how desperate our situation is at the time. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for your love and your grace. It's in Jesus' name. Oh, what a name that we can be certain. Amen. This morning, if you are uncertain, if you have questions about something that you've heard said or God's doing something in you, maybe you're trying to figure out why he brought you here today. Man, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad all of you are here. What a room full of God-loved people. I'm so excited about what he's got in store for us and for you in your life. If you've not surrendered to him, though, that's where it all begins. Come today. We're ready for you. He certainly is.